0: This is episode number 25, Where Do You Belong, with Rebecca Mallory. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of adoptees and foster youth who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before I introduce today's guest, I would like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming seminar on June 23rd in Austin, Texas. A seminar where you'll have a chance to connect with hundreds of people who are going through a similar transformation that you are. A seminar where you'll hear from speakers from all over the country, including Jim Bricker, Anne Heffrin, Leslie Johnson, Adele Harris, Joshua Banks, Peter Stropel, and myself included. For more information, please go to overcoming odds forward slash hear me now. Now, let's get back to our guest. Born and abandoned. She said, when I was found by the police... I was severely malnourished, myasmic and suffering from dysentery, an event that's difficult for most, if not all of us, to imagine, an event that first showed Rebecca Mallory what rejection and lack of belonging felt like. But this wasn't the only time Rebecca experienced rejection and lack of belonging. Without further ado, please welcome Rebecca Mallory. Thank you for taking the time to share your experience with us and your story yeah and what i would like you to do is for those who may not be familiar with your story could you tell them a little bit about where you were born and how and why you got adopted
1: okay so i was born in uh well at the moment a little bit of a question (laughs) um the story that my parents were told was that I was born and abandoned, and I'm probably butchering the name, but Amandagar, uh it's in Maharashtra in India. And um, the story is, from what they could tell, was that I was born there and abandoned, m- most likely the same day that I was born. Um, and then I was found by the Amendagar police uh, about two days later. And um, I was very, very tiny, very sick, and so they took me to the hospital. Um, I didn't know I was in the hospital for a while. I was very sick. So I stayed there for a while. Um, I went to a foster family. Um, and then eventually when I was healthy enough, I went and I was admitted to BSSK, uh, my orphanage. And I lived there for, um, let's see, I was admitted when I was 23 days old. And I lived there until I was 11 months. I was adopted mm. when I was 11 months, um, and so at the time, my parents, my um, adoptive family, they lived in South Carolina. Um, so I came home to South Carolina when I was um, I was just a month shy of my first birthday. Um, and my parents already had two other uh, little Indian girls adopted as well. Um, one of my sisters came from the same orphanage and another sister came from, I think it was, I think she came from, I want to say Mumbai, but I could be wrong. Mm. Um, but they were, uh, one sister is just a few years older than I am. And the other one is five years older. Um, so, you know, growing up, I, it's weird because, um, most of the adoptees that I've been meeting are usually the only adopted person in their family. And so, um, it's a little strange for me because my story is a little different. I did have other adopted siblings, Well, none of them actually came from my orphanage. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it was a little easier growing up to have two people who kind of had the same background as I did. Um, And I've been hearing a lot of stories from different adoptees now that I'm meeting more adoptees about how they were the only colored person in their family. And I honestly, I don't know how that would, I can't imagine how that would be growing up because I did have other colored siblings. Um, And so I had that growing up and so I didn't really think about, you know, race or color. Um, But my parents were very open about our adoption um, right from the get-go. I have probably some of my earliest memories would be of um, sitting on my mom's lap and stroking her white skin. I thought it was just the prettiest thing in the world, but um, (laughs) she would stroke mine too and tell me that I had the most beautiful color of skin and she wished that she had my color of skin. And it just made me feel like a princess. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, they were very open about our differences and very open about our adoption um, right from the the beginning. Um, So it was kind of, you know, it it kind of formed my idea of adoption from a young age,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, it was more of this very beautiful, very positive thing. You know, we came from all different sides of the world, and we um, came together as one in this family in South Carolina. Um, and how crazy is that? But, um, you know, I didn't really think about, the losses very much until I was a little bit older. Um, you know, what I, I lost, um, and I became a little bit more aware of my differences, you know, why am I not the same color as my parents? Why are my friends all Mm -hmm. white? Why is everybody that I know white around me? Um, and so more of those questions popped up as I got older and, um, so I guess it's a little bit about my story. I don't mm-hmm. want to get too ahead of you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how? What type of relationship do you have with your siblings? And the other question I would have is, did you guys ever discuss the fact that all of you were adopted? And if so, like how how did that conversation start?
1: You know, I don't rem- I don't remember the first times that we really discussed the adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember like very early memories. I can remember being oh, probably five or six. And, um, you know, uh, my dad was a pastor growing up. And so um, adoption was really a big thing in the church. And it still is um, a big issue. And, um, you know, I know that um, some churches will have like adoption days or whatever. And we were kind of the post children for adoption, I I guess you could say in our church. Um, And so, it wasn't ever really like a secret or held from us or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember from earliest memories. I can remember my mom telling people our story. Um, sometimes I know that uh, we would go out in public, and it's kind of hard to hide a, a white <laughs> woman with three little brown girls <laughs> right behind her. Um, you know, it's kind of hard, a hard thing to hide. Um, but we did talk about adoption a lot, um, as kids. And when I was little, I thought it was pretty cool, um, to have that because I could see how proud my parents were. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was pretty cool that they were, they were proud of me and my sisters and our stories. Um, and so I guess we, we it never really was anything that was hidden from us. It's kind of hard to hide again, like I said. Mm -hmm. Um, But, um, oh, and how I get along with my sisters. Um, One of my sisters, I'm more close. um, The other one has kind of isolated herself from our family. Um, So it's been a difficult transition. Uh, for us as a family, um, we've kind of gone from a family of five to a family of four. So it's been a very difficult transition to have. But, um, you know, up until the time that I was probably 11 or 12, we, we got along very well. Um, but since losing one of my adoptive sisters, it feels like um, I've become so much more close with my other sister, and I mm-hmm. think that's kind of helped us to bond. It's brought us closer together. so
0: tighten that bondage yeah. more. Now that, that, that makes perfect exactly. sense. Um, I've always wondered you know what that relationship was like, especially for other siblings and um, try to figure out if there were any recommendations that people that have been adopted or even even siblings that could make to other families. And what I mean by that is, so Mm. in my case, for example, when I came to the States, I was 12 years old. I was, Mm. you know, already, I had my ideas and understanding of the way the world worked. And, but there was the part that I didn't know was how would my brother feel about this? You know, Mm. because he he was a little bit older than I was. And so, like, that must have been an interesting dynamic for him. Knowing that there was another kid who was relatively the same age, and had you know a understanding of the world already, so there wasn't much that he could um, kind of explain to me. He did teach me different ways, and you know, uh, sports and things like that. But mm-hmm. I've always just been curious as far as like that transition. Like, what advice would people give to the birth kids? of that particular family that may, may help them prepare for that type of transition.
1: Um, are, you, are you meaning the type of transi- is it transition of bringing an adoptive child into the family? Yes. Yep. That's a good question. Um, oh, I'd have to think about that for a little bit.
0: Yeah, I've, I've always just been curious as far as, you know, like what – because there's so much that we're able to understand from our end. But then there's mm-hmm. also that, that other end. The kids that yeah. that were there from literally day one with that family. And now they have to uh, completely adjust to a different lifestyle. So that's mm-hmm. something that's kind of um, been on my mind. And I haven't, I guess, fully <laughs> found answers to it. So,
1: Yeah, you know, I have friends who um, are the only adoptees in their family but they have other uh not biological but um blood related siblings who are related to their adoptive family Mm -hmm. um and from the stories that they've told me um I know one friend in particular had a sibling who was um a little bit older actually I mean she was eight years old but old enough to remember life before the adoptee came into the family and life after um and how that transition worked and um From what I have heard from stories, it was a difficult transition. um, And I can imagine, you know, it would be a difficult one. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's very interesting to think about. And I have, you know, I have been thinking about that as well. um, Just how, from hearing their stories, how that transition would work. You know, especially being an older sibling. Um, You know, I guess when they're younger, they don't really...
0: You don't you know, really pay attention exciting. to it that much.
1: Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's more like, oh, I'm getting a new sibling, and then you grow up yep. together. But you know, when you're a little bit older, it's it's different.
0: Mm-hmm. I know that. So in your submission, which um, you've done quite a bit ago for our website, mm-hmm. you mentioned how you were thankful for your adoptive family, but still wanted to go back to India. Could you tell tell us a little bit why that was?
1: Oh, of course. Um, You know, as a kid, I I didn't give much thought to India until I was probably about eight or nine is when I really started to think about India. And I don't remember what exactly happened, but there was a, a specific day I remember that I really thought about it. And I thought about my Indian parents who might still be back there. And um, it really made me, I can remember feeling that pull, wanting to go back. And um, I don't know if that was really the day that I, something sparked in my mind that, oh, I really want to go back now. Because, you know, I guess that was kind of the age where I really started to think about Mm-hmm. I had a life in India, Explore. I had a family in India, you know, yeah, kind of exploring that part of of my thoughts. Um, but I can remember being young and dreaming about being able to send, you know, my spit somewhere, and somebody can find my family, <laughs> or sending my blood somewhere. Um, and it's, it's amazing now that we can do that. Um, and when I... Over the past few years, as that as DNA testing has become more um, prevalent, I it really has shocked me because that's what I dreamed of as a child. I can remember dreaming, oh maybe somebody, someone <sighs> somewhere can find my family if I send them my spit. I don't know why I thought that, but um, I can remember just and I remember having dreams, like actual dreams, where I would I would go back and someone would find my family and I could go back and meet them. Um, and you know, I, I almost fantasized about going back so I could be Indian. Um, I think it was around that age, probably seven or eight years old where, um, I really thought about my life before America Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be Indian and I wasn't so sure that I wanted to be very white and I was becoming very aware of all the white people around me and, um, but yet, I was so different. I remember looking down at my skin sometimes, and I'd forget that I was different. I, I, I was surrounded by um, American people and white people, and um, mm-hmm. I felt American. I didn't have a hint of an Indian accent at all. <laughs> um, you know, I, I thought I was white. And then I would walk past a mirror or something, or I would look at my skin and be surprised like, oh, yeah, I am Indian. And so I think it was around that age at some point when, um, I really started to explore that thought of being wanting to be Indian. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think I always kind of had a sense of being lost and I didn't understand it until I've, what I've what adoptees, I guess, in the adoptee commu- community call coming out of the fog, um, and it's sort of like I've hit this wall. It's kind of like I'm in this place now where um, it's hard to begin healing without going home, mm. kind of um, being able to find myself there and how it connects to who I am here in America. So I've always kind of felt that pull, and now I feel like now is the time to go back.
0: hmm How are you dealing with that healing process at the moment?
1: It's, you know, it's kind of like a roller coaster. And I was just telling someone the other day, it really is (laughs) like a roller coaster. It's like, there are some days that I really feel amazing. I feel awesome about it. And like, I'm really making progress. And then there are days where, um, you know... I'll have friends who are searching for their birth families and they just get horrible news and it just brings me so so down and not in a horrible way it's not their fault it's just it's like the reality of our of our situation hits me and it's just you know for many adoptees like myself it's very it's going to be a very difficult um, thing to find our birth families. Um, You know, a lot of our, a lot of these international adoptees don't have, depending on what country you come from, of course, Mm -hmm. um, but um, India sometimes can be a very difficult place um, to find a lot of information. So you don't have a lot to begin your search with. And, um, you know, and then there's some days where I just get very down about it. And it's just like, I'm overwhelmed with grief, um, over what we've lost. And so it's kind of like a roller coaster, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a, it's a daily battle, I guess (laughs) guess you could say, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, you just kind of have to face reality and, um, be strong with it. And, you know, it might, it might really be horrible and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to be fearful of it. Uh, a good friend of ours, Rishma, likes to say fear is a liar. And I agree with that. So, um, you know,
0: it sounds like it's a battle that needs to be fought though.
1: Oh yes, of course. Yeah. I, I know a lot of adoptees um, kind of cower behind it and um, they'd rather just be comfortable and, if you're coming out of the fog, it's not very comfortable. <laughs> you've got to hit. You've got to face reality, and um, for a lot of adoptees, and I guess I don't blame them. Reality is not a very fun thing to face, and so they'd rather just be comfortable with it, um, be content with what they know, and be content with where they are now, which is which is fine. I guess you know it isn't for everyone because it is that heavy. Mm -hmm. I don't know that a lot of people understand how heavy it is um, to really face reality. And um, so I I can understand when adoptees just want to be happy with where they are and not, you know, just just face forward. Don't look into Mm -hmm. the past Um, because I, I understand how difficult it is.
0: No, that makes perfect sense. I'm curious to know if you're, and this would be for anyone who is preparing to um, go on a similar journey that you are. Are Mm -hmm. you doing anything in particular to possibly face rejection? Like, Is there there a way that you're potentially preparing if the situation were to come?
1: Um, You mean just finding my birth family? Yeah,
0: finding your birth family and then you know, them not um, accepting you or wanting to talk, like, is there anything that you're doing on your end that could be used as advice for others that are about to go on their journey like this, that they can, you know, be aware of certain things?
1: Yeah. Um. So I, like I said, I was born in India. And I know that for a very long time, there has just been um, sort of this social stigma. Um, and a reason that a lot of these um, abandonments and adoptions have taken place is because um, of single mothers, um, young women who get pregnant out of wedlock, and and that culture, that's very, very, um, it's a big (laughs) no-no. And so um, I've I've met a lot of adoptees from India, um, some of whom have gone back and found their families, and um, more often than not, I've, I've heard of that situation being true where their birth mother was just young, having a child with no support. Um, and she just thinks that the best situation is to either take this baby to an orphanage or to abandon the child. Um, and a lot of times, you know, and I was reaching out to my orphanage that one of the things that they um, explained to me, uh, was that a lot of these women will move on and they will kind of just forget about that part of their life, and um, and so when that part of their life comes back to find them later in life after they've moved on and gotten married and uh, started this new life, they don't want any part of it. Um, and you know, I've I've thought about the reality of that possibly happening to me. Mm-hmm. Um, At this point, I don't think it'll be very possible to find my birth family. Um, Right now, I'm just trying to gather all of the paperwork that I can, all of the investigation files and documents that I can from um, uh, my institution that I was staying in. Um, But, you know, if there were a chance for me to really find my birth family, it would be terrifying (laughs) to think of that. But I have had to prepare myself for that before. Um, And I've I've had friends who are searching, like I said, and they've had to prepare themselves for that. And, um, you know, I don't know that there's really a way that you can. Um, I know that everyone is different, and there are some people who deal with it in other ways. um, And they, uh, you know, they kind of just, you kind of just have to be aware and be okay with that happening. Um, because you just never know how, how it will happen or how, um, this family will react. Um, and I guess that's one of the things that my institution had told me is, um, you know, a lot of these women, when they move on and they start these families and they, it's kind of been their dirty little secret in the past. Mm -hmm. And, um, you you have to be aware that sometimes they don't want to be bothered with that part of their life again. Um, and I've had friends who have searched and f- actually found their birth mothers, and they were rejected. And um, I've never been in that situation, but watching friends go through it, it's devastating. Um, mm. And so um, I think it's something that people have to be Aware of at least, and you don't have to. I don't know that you can ever be prepared for it, but you know, keep it in the back of your mind that that it is a possibility. Possibility,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: And so, um, and it's hard. That's a hard thing to face.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, it's possible.
0: I know you mentioned quite a bit throughout, um, your story in this episode, that you never. It sounds like you never really had the any difficulties feeling like you belong within your family. Mm -hmm. Was there a a time in school or anywhere else that you felt like you didn't belong?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, Only my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, like I was saying earlier, I grew up almost in this white world. I had white friends. I had white parents. I had... um, you know, everyone around me was white, and sometimes I would forget that I was, I was different, um, and I really remember becoming more aware of that when I was, um, oh, seven or eight, like I said earlier, and, um, I have memories of being young and playing with friends, and there was one instance, and I was, I think I was seven, and a friend of, of mine, You know, when you're when you're young, you say things to your friends and you get angry and you kind of get over it. You forget about it as you grow up. Every all friends have arguments when you're that young. (laughs) Um, But this is one that I won't ever forget. Mm -hmm. Um, A friend of mine, I don't remember what brought it on or what caused it. But one of my friends was making fun of me for being black and having black skin and i know this was during the summertime and during the summer if if i can't help it and i'm out in the sun i get very black Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um i'm i'm i guess you could say of a darker complexion not anyways and so this was during the summertime and so i know that i was very tan that summer and it made and that was the first time that i can remember being so angry about being different and i I ran to my mom in tears, and we ended up having to talk to my friend and her mom, and it was just absolutely humiliating, and, um, you know, I think that was one of the first times that I really realized that I was very different, and I just couldn't help it. There was nothing that I could do. I was just going to be different, and um, it it was one of the first times that I remember being aware that I was humiliated of being different. And, um, you know, I don't know that that feeling ever left me, truly left me, um, until probably college at some point, or maybe even after college. But, um, I mean, I can remember being in middle school and being the darkest friend of the circle uh, of my friends. I remember high school, I was, in high school, I was a few grades of, where I should have been. And so the friends who were my age were in different classes and uh, the friends who were in my grade were all older than me. And so, you know, that made me feel even more isolated. And I can remember praying for God to bring me a friend because I was just so sad. Um, I kind of felt very in between. Um, uh, And as an adoptee, that's the last thing that you Mm -hmm. want is to feel different. You, want to fit in I mean at that age I probably would have been um, okay with just being born white <laughs> I wouldn't have cared um, because all I wanted was to fit in I just wanted to belong I didn't want to stand out anymore um, and that's another part of being internationally adopted just feeling out of place among the culture that I I'm in you know I'm I, I'm a part of this American culture, but uh, you know, they're, I'm, I'm also, uh, of place when I'm in a group of Indians as well. Um, because I don't share their culture, even though they look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I grew up around white people. I felt like a white person, but, um, Even among the people who look like me, who I should feel like I fit in with, I don't, because I I don't share that culture. So I think for internationally adopted um, people, we're kind of just stuck in this in-between where, um, you know, uh, one person, I read this uh, somewhere, and I can't remember who said it. I wish that I could, Um, but they said something along the lines of international adoptees have perfected the art of flowing between cultures like water. And it's very true, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, we're kind of this in between. And if we want to be American, we can, and if we want to be Indian, we can kind of, you know, um, work our way in and fit in there too. But, you know, we're kind of just this in between. And it took me a very long time to be able to be okay with that. Um, As a kid, I wanted to be white and, Um, as I've grown into, to adulthood, I've wanted to be Indian and, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where you have to be okay with being in the middle. Um, but it is kind of a beautiful thing also, you know, I can, I have this amazing life in America and I have this amazing family, but I also have this really amazing part of me that's Indian, Mm -hmm. that's India. And I really, I think that's beautiful, um, and as I'm older, I'm, I'm diving more into my past and into my first culture. Um, and it's it's really amazing to be able to do that. But it took me a very long time to be able to come to terms with the fact that, you know, I, I never will be fully anything. Um, the culture that I have, I don't look like them. And the people that I do look like, I i don't share that culture. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's been a long it's been a long journey to get to that point, to be mm. able to face that reality. I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you connect with others? I'm curious to know that. And what advice would you have for other people who are going through a similar situation?
1: Um, you know, I think that um, for adoptees, connection is one of the biggest barriers. Um, just because it's, it's so hard for us to connect. Um, but I think that you, um, you know, I, I, I guess I've always been pretty self-conscious of how I, I come across to people and how they will respond to me. Um, and I've always been very aware of how I connect to people. Um, and when I was younger, it was, it was a it it seems like it was easier to connect to people. And as I've gotten older and more aware of who I am and my story and my journey, for some reason, it's become more difficult. Um, I guess in the back of every adoptee's mind, whether they come to realize this or not, is that fear of abandonment and rejection. Mm -hmm. And even for non-adoptees, I think that's, that's an issue too, is that fear of rejection. No one likes rejection. Um, But for adoptees it's like a a whole nother level um especially I think probably adoptees who have been abandoned by their family um but I think that I've always been afraid of rejection because in my experience rejection has come not only from friends but also from family um my first hours of life consisted of rejection and so um I've always struggled with that. And I think that as I've gotten older, I've recognized that more. And so, um, especially in high school and college, I can remember, specifically remember, um, thinking to myself, well, if if I don't have to be close to anybody, I I won't get hurt. Um, And so it made it very difficult for me to connect with anybody because I was was trying to protect myself first. Um, And as I have worked my way into adulthood, I've realized that's not the way to go through life. Um, And so I think that, you know, I think it took coming out of the fog to realize how much my my abandonment has affected me. And I'm still learning how to silence that voice in my head, telling me that people, the people I love will leave me, even if I'm not good enough. Um, I remember being um, probably six years, six or seven. And, um, you know, worrying, being anxious that if I'm not good enough, mom and dad will, will abandon me. Um, and so, and then that's, that thought has worked its way into adulthood. Um, but you know, it's just for adoptees, I think you just have to jump that hurdle and find ways to cope. And, um, You know, for me now, especially in the past few years, I've connected with people through my grief um, Mm -hmm. for some reason. Um, And I've been meeting all these incredible people over the past few years um, who have helped me kind of come into my own and be brave with my story. And in doing that, I've become closer with the people that aren't connected to adoption because they you know, I'm getting, I'm raising awareness about this, that, you know, adoptees have a voice now.
0: Allowing and, them to understand, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's just, it's almost something that isn't un, that isn't heard of. And now I think, you know, the, with this movement that's coming, it's just amazing to, uh, to see how people are being affected, people who aren't connected to adoption. And so through my grief and through being able to, come out of the fog and really, um, really dive into my past and figure out how all of this, these things that I've come through that I've experienced have affected me, um, and being able to share my story and, and, and be brave in that sense has really helped me connect to people who are outside of that adoption circle. Um, You know, I've had friends that I haven't talked to in years who have messaged me, thanking me for the story that I'm for my story that I'm telling. um, Because, you know, it's really affecting the way that they think about adoption. Mm -hmm. And I think that's awesome. I think that this movement is really going to help um, adoptees, especially uh, figure out how to connect to people. Um, You know, I really like I said, I used to try to protect myself first. And, you know, sometimes I still struggle with that. I don't want to get close to people if they're going to just leave. No one likes that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that especially in these in these past several years, I have learned that you have to open up. You have to become brave to open up and let this wound be shown um, because you really cannot heal until you do that. And um in that healing, you're going to learn how to connect with people and how to build these relationships. And I think it's, for me, it's been a really incredible journey to figure out how, um, how to navigate through that. Um, and so for someone who's going through this process and going through, um, you know, trying to figure out, um, how do I kind of navigate this without losing myself? Um, I think that first you have to let your thoughts and your feelings on your adoption, these have to be your narrative. You can't, you cannot let anybody else tell you how to feel about your adoption loss. Um, You know, I, I, like I said, I've been meeting all these really incredible people over the last few years and it really wasn't until I've made those connections um, that I've been able to begin healing um and I I found out that it was okay to let this wound be shown um and I I growing up I thought I was the only one who was so sad about losing this life before adoption um this life that I had in India and so I kind of pushed those thoughts kind of to the back burner I didn't want to think about it because it made me so sad and I didn't think that anybody was ever going to be able to understand that um and it wasn't really until a few years ago that I that I realized um, I found this amazing blog that uh, my friend runs. And it's called Dear Adoption. And um, as I was scrolling through, it was just like somebody opened my heart and was just reading everything inside. Because for the first time, that someone else, you know, when you don't talk about how you feel, you don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't know the language to use. You don't know the words for the longest time. I knew how I felt, but I didn't know how to tell somebody. I didn't know it was okay to talk about in the first place, but I didn't know how to tell someone how I felt because I didn't know how to talk about it. And going through that blog, it was just like somebody opened the floodwaters because it was like for the first time in my life, somebody else felt the same things that I did. And, um, I can remember how um, how huge that was for me. And, um, you know, I think you have to realize it's okay to feel that pain, For the longest time I didn't want to think about it. Um, but you have to realize it's okay to feel that pain. Um, I, I think that every adoptee has undergone some, on some level, a tremendous loss. And for many, that loss was traumatic. Um, and, You know, trauma is not easily concealed. And for some, adoption was a cure to their pain. Um, For some, they had a very horrific life before adoption. Um, And for others, adoption only added to that horrific Mm -hmm. experience. Um, So you kind of have to let yourself figure out where you are in your journey. Um, But you have to be free from the influence of others. And I know that's so hard for adoptees because, you know, the last people we want to hurt is our adoptive family or, you know, the people closest to us. We don't want, I know in my experience, I didn't want to hurt my parents. I didn't want to hurt my sisters. I didn't want to hurt my family. And, um, I didn't want them to misconstrue my grief. And one thing that I touched on in my overcoming odds piece was that you can have this tremendous grief grief, but you can also be very happy about the life that you are living and the life that you were given. Um, you can live those two lives at the same time, but I don't, I didn't want to hurt my family, um, by having them misconstrue that by thinking that I wasn't grateful that I, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't happy. Um, and so you kind of, in order to come to terms with where you are you have to figure out where you are you can't let um your family influence you you can't let your friends influence you um and you know i've i've lost friends because of um since coming out of the fog because they you know i've had people tell me that i'm just being so ungrateful Mm -hmm. and that's not the case i just think that that's another misunderstanding
0: you're just
1: Sorry, say that again. I
0: was just gonna say you're just being you, and the person yeah. that, that you you were See? along the way. You just
1: yeah, um, and and for and some people just can't realize that. Um, so for me, I guess that was one of the biggest obstacles, and um, I couldn't really begin to heal until I realized that how I have spoken about adoption up until this point in my life was not how I, I truly felt about my personal adoption loss because I didn't realize it was okay to talk about it. Um, so I think you have to come to the realization that it's okay to to feel that pain because it's your experience and no one can tell you how to feel about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same sense, you have to take care of yourself because that's not an easy thing to come to terms with. Um, for me, you know, I think... I, I kind of dip into bouts with depression because it is that heavy. Um, and so, you know, you have to learn to take care of yourself as well. Um, and truly, um, I call it finding your tribe, uh, your tribe of people who, um, really can hear your story and listen and where you can openly speak without judgment. And I, like I've said in the past few years, I've been meeting, these incredible people who truly have become my tribe. And I can, they, they understand. I think that for adoptees, there's nothing you need more than other adoptees who Mm -hmm. are going through the same experiences um, or different experiences who bring new perspectives to the table. And um, so I think it's very important to um, find those people that you do belong with. um, And you know, that way you can together, you can bring this new voice to the world. Um, you know, I haven't, I didn't get very brave about sharing my story until I was in the presence of other people who are brave and sharing their story. And, um, and so through them, I've been able to kind of find my voice. And, um, when you find your voice, it, it almost, it's like it sets you free. You can kind of, you know, I feel lighter than I did when I was holding all of this in because I didn't know how to talk about it. So, you know, you kind of, you have to realize it's okay to talk about it, take care of yourself, um, kind of find those people, find your tribe, find those people that, um, that make you brave and, um, and, and find your voice, be free. Um, I don't know what else what what other advice I would give,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: you know that's kind of how I feel about it.
0: That's awesome that you say that because it kind of just reaffirms everything that we've been doing as far as mm-hmm. creating this community because you know at the beginning we kind of some of the criticism we did receive was the fact that this was just a blog. Uh, it was just mm-hmm. like any other blog, and um it didn't really require much to maintain it and things like that. But I've always believed there was a lot more than that. When you oh, yeah, when you get to sit down and talk about your experience, not only is it a form of therapy, but it also is giving you courage to share yes. that experience, which yeah. you never know that. I mean, that could lead to a hundred different ways and allow you to explore a hundred different possibilities of the type mm-hmm. of person that you can become. Um, so that, that those are the things that I saw from the very beginning, and so I, I can somewhat relate to you as far as not having the proper words or terminology to communicate that to other people yeah. who weren't um, connected to adoption or foster care. Um, so that, that was a challenge of its own, but I think that once more and more people started to do that, And once more and more people started to speak up using those terms and essentially just reaffirming the fact that it did give them courage and it it wasn't us, you know, it's not like I asked you, did, did, was this uh, helpful to you in any way? Did this provide you courage? It was it, you truly and freely spoke of that as a result of all these things. And so I think it's just beautiful to see that and. Uh, community once again, you know, it, it does so much and it truly does empower not mm-hmm. only us, but those who aren't educated about the things that do happen mm-hmm. post-adoption and post-foster care. So that way when they do um, come to that decision, they're a lot more well-rounded than they were mm-hmm. when they first started.
1: Yeah. And that's the most important part. You know, I, I think a lot of people... Um, jump into the adoption pool uh, with blind eyes, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's so important to be educated first. And I think that one of the most important ways to do that is hear the stories of adoptees who have been through it. And so I think our stories are so important. And empower is the perfect word. It's empowering others to tell their story. And so we can educate together, we can educate um, society Uh, You know, so that when they do jump into that pool, they're they're more knowledgeable about what they're getting into. Mm -hmm.
0: and That's
1: very, very, very important. Mm
0: -hmm. Final thought for today's episode. And Mm -hmm. it is when the odds are completely against you. What are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to?
1: Um, you know, one of the things that I always jump back to, and it could be kind of silly, but, um, <laughs> one of the things is that, um, I have endured so much. Um, I guess endurance is one of those because, in in the first few days of my life, I had, I I spent the first two days of my life alone, as far as I know. And so if I can endure that, I can endure anything. If I can endure the first year of my life in India, um, I can endure anything. If I can endure, um, you know, all, all of the changes that happened in the first year, or two years of my life, I I can tackle anything that comes my way. Um, and I think that's that's one important thing that I always go back to is, you know, when I don't think that I can do something, when I think that I'm just too small, I I think back to my story and what I've overcome, and it's just. It's something that I always think about. Is you know I can do it. If I can do that, I can do this. Um, and another one I think is is um, connecting with others is has helped me as well. You know I I used to think that I would never be able to come to terms with my story or you know connect who I've been with who I am. And it's been through the connections that I've been making and the friendships that I've been building um, in the past few years that, that have helped me. Um, and so I think through friends, that's very important through community, it's very important. Um, and if you have community, you know how it makes you brave and it, and it kind of Mm -hmm. empowers you. Um, you know, I couldn't have made it through the last year or two of my life without these people that I've been meeting, um, this community of adoptees and, if it weren't for them, I, I don't think that I'd ha- I would have been able to do it alone. And so, community is another thing. Um, so I, I guess those are the 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 two that I really keep coming back to is endurance and um, community and being brave. You know, I've been able to really kind of come into my own in the last few years and figure out that you know I I am brave and I can be brave. Mm-hmm. And, you know. A few, seven, five years ago, if you would have told me that I would be telling my story like this, I would have said, no way, I'm not that <laughs> brave. Um, but it is it is through um, endurance and strength and community that that has helped me overcome those odds, I guess.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with overcoming odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you next week.